So Nithika, thank you so much for joining us today on Spilling Spilling Chai. And so excited to have you spill the tea with us. I have so many amazing questions. No, I have so many amazing questions. I have so many questions to ask you about your amazing uh, career and work. So as you know, 133 million people have been diagnosed as having a chronic condition in the United States. And after nearly 30 years of dealing with your own health, it became clear to you um, that those living with chronic illnesses deserve to be talked about, marketed to, and included in major media campaigns. From your magazine to Chronicon, which you launched in 2019, tell me how you took your illness and created a thriving business. Well, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Your questions are amazing. So let's just say you're amazing questions. Um, and it's great to be here with you. Um, so thank you. Thank you for having me. I um, Let's see. I mean, for me, it was always a matter of um, you know, I had done content creation, I had done media, I had done stuff like I had my own talk show on ZTV, I had done stuff on QVC and beauty, like beauty had always been a huge part of what I had talked about, and self love. And I think after a while after doing that for about eight, nine years, I had had some success with it. And I had really enjoyed it for sure. But I felt like it was missing this like deeper connection that I was looking for and going really to like the thing I was meant to do. And yeah, it took me a few years, honestly, to kind of chip away at stuff and figure out like, what is this thing that I'm searching for? Like, there's something else out there. There's something else I'm supposed to be talking about, but I really didn't know what it was meant to be. And a lot of that is because we don't talk about chronic illness a lot. And now it's like people know what immunocompromised is, but I've been immunocompromised for like 20 years. No one know, knew what the heck that was, you know? And so it was a lot of that. There was also a lot of resistance for me initially around, you know, not wanting to over-identify with my conditions. And I still don't. And that's a lot of what we do at Chronicon. My company is like, we're, yeah, okay, we have all these conditions, but we're so much more than that. And we have so much more to offer and to talk about and all those things. So I think, um, you know, it was a journey. It was really a journey of all of those different types of all those different points of the process. And then, um, yeah, after a while, I just kind of realized that, as you said, we talk about that number all the time, the 133 million Americans. And I kind of had this moment where I was like, wait a second, I feel like no one is talking about this. Like maybe I feel so alone chronic illness journey. Like maybe I am the only one. Um, and then I kind of realized that, no, that couldn't be further from the truth, you know? And when I found out that number, and again, that number was given to us by the, you know, National Health Council in 2019. And so that was, we're almost at 2023 now, depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be 2023. So, and we've had a whole global pandemic since then, right? And so that number I'm sure has grown an, an extraordinary amount, unfortunately. Um, and so we aren't a niche market. And I think it's really been a disservice that we've been treated like one and we continue to be treated like one when it could not be further from the truth. I mean, hallelujah, hallelujah and amen to that. I, I speak so much about in my work about chronic illnesses, chronic conditions. And as you know, women make up such a large percentage of people living with chronic illness and chronic pain um, mm -hmm. that so often come with um, invisible symptoms. There's actually an entire chapter on it in my book. 
How hard was it in your medical journey just to be believed, especially as a woman of color? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because that has been a huge part of my journey, but I didn't even realize that it was a part of my journey until much later, I think, because especially as women of color, as you said, like, we're often just taught to like deal with things or like we are being hysterical or I'm being too emotional or dramatic or sensitive or insert whatever word here. And for me, for one, I didn't have an invisible illness. So now you could say my conditions are invisible because I'm in remission with my psoriasis and my psoriatic arthritis um, is not as debilitating as it was before. But when I had psoriasis, I had it from the tip of my foot to the tip of my head. And I had it that way for about 17 years of my life, starting from 10 to about 26, 27. I saw that picture on your website. Mm -hmm. So you're right. It wasn't all invisible for you. Oh my gosh. Okay. For 17 years, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. For 17 years. And then like after that, you know, I had about a good 10 years that it was sort of on and off still because I was trying different medications. I was trying different treatments, you know, but I was more in remission for sure after that 26, 27. And um, yeah, and so it wasn't invisible. But the thing that was really tricky when you talk about this part is that people would often say it's just a skin condition, you know? So they would sort of uh, diminish my experience because it's just the skin. Now we know psoriasis, and we knew this back then, but we didn't know what it meant, is an autoimmune disease. And so if your immune system is having this type of response and this reaction, there is a lot going on with your body, right? And so we just didn't know that. I didn't know it. My parents didn't know it either. You know, I'm first generation. My parents are from India. It's like they were doing the best and God bless them. I would not be anywhere where, you know, anywhere where I am today without them. I mean, both of them, you know, in different ways. And yeah, they just were doing their best. So they really didn't know. And then I would go to school and I would be in extreme fatigue. I would be upset or irritable or depressed or anxious because I was physically itching. I mean, psoriasis itches like chicken pox, you know, and I had it like that from the tip of my foot to the tip of my head for 17 years. So it's like now I get a little itch or like a hive or something and I like freak out and I'm just like, I can't believe I lived like this for so long. So, you know, you kind of get amnesia from what you've been through. Convenient amnesia, yes. Yeah, convenient <laughs> amnesia. And I'm like, okay. Um, but yeah, so so it was a lot of that. It was a lot of like, now we look back and say, oh, okay, it makes sense that I had such a hard time in school, that I had a really hard time making friends. Honestly, it was really, really hard for me. Now, my friends always tease me because I have a lot of friends now, but they're always like, we can't imagine you going through a period of time where you didn't have friends. And I'm like, oh my God, my mom was like my only friend growing up. Aww. Like literally, my mom, my mom was my only friend and she That's has like so trauma. Sweet around it because I'll mention to her I'm going out with this friend and she'd be like oh that's good I'm I'm like mom I'm not <laughs> anymore. I have friends you know so yeah it yes was you really, do <laughs> but it was a really big thing it was a really mm. challenging thing and that was the piece that was hard or even then like when I got arthritis you know I was only 19 and so I was living in New York City a couple years after that and I would be on the subway and I would be in like severe pain but you couldn't really tell. I would wear long sleeves and pants like all the time. So you couldn't really tell that I had like severe psoriasis. And I looked, I was so young. Not only did I look really young, but I also was like so young. Yeah. So people didn't think that 
I would look like someone who needed a seat, you know, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't pregnant where I would be like obvious that like, oh, I'm carrying a child. I need you to let me sit. Or I wasn't in a wheelchair where it's like an actual disability and I need help, you know, and having certain accommodations for that. So that was really hard. Um, But, you know, other than that, I mean, we get through it. I don't even remember what your original question was, but that (laughs) (laughs) that was my journey, a bit of it. Well, you definitely answered it because you're so funny. So, of course, as a first generation American, you know, I was born and raised in Bangladesh and we know South Asians. Well, let me just tell you the studies, which I'm sure you already know. So studies suggest that there's a personal. Well, we know studies find that there's a personal stigma among South Asians in discussing mental and physical health challenges. One in five deal with mental or emotional stress. Being South Asian women, we know that South Asian Americans are amongst the least likely groups to seek out mental health resources and therapy. What has your experience been being so honest and open with your illness and your mental health struggles, which accompany that as a South Asian? And do you think we will ever get over the shame? Like I was even telling my husband recently, I'm like, I had a cousin who you know, in the 1990s, when I was 11, you know, he, he killed himself. He was a, he was a real, he was addicted to heroin, but I didn't find out up until really recently, like people would rather have you die. I feel like, right. than get this person, like the help that he needed. Now, of course, I feel like we have come so far, but I feel like you're kind of a champion for mental health in the South Asian. How is that? And a reluctant uh, champion or an accidental champion. How have you found that being of South Asian origin and speaking mm-hmm. so openly of your own struggles. I mean, how has that been? Yeah. I mean, it's such a beautiful question. See, your questions are amazing. You're <laughs> um, you. such a beautiful question. Uh, and I'm so sorry to hear about your cousin. And I feel like that is whether it, you know, ends in, in death or, you know, suicide, or it ends in just being ostracized and having like carrying shame in such intense ways. Like there's just so many different ways that those stories can unfold. And um, so, I mean, to answer your question about being a champion, um, I always kind of, I'm reluctant to like own that I am like the voice of anything because I just feel like I'm (laughs) fumbling along with everybody. And I'm just like, guys, I'm going through so many things. Like, let's figure this out together, you know? (laughs) But I definitely know that I use my voice as much as I can. I will say that. And I do that in my own home. Like, it's not about being on Instagram or being on TV. It's like, I do that in my life. And so I think what I would say about that is that it's not easy. And I get a lot of DMs, especially from South Asian girls, you know, women that will say to me, like, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Like speaking up and saying what you feel and then like the backlash and the shame and then that. Guys, I go through it too. It's not like I'm speaking up and everyone's like, oh, Nitika, she's so (laughs) smart. I mean, are you kidding me? Like. No, no, no. For a millisecond. Everyone's like, there she goes again with her, you know, like, hate on, like, what does she have to always talk about? Yes. Nonsense. Like, oh God, she's <laughs> always bringing something up. She's always talking about something. And I'm like, yeah, guys, I am because I'm here to break generational trauma. And it's not. Thank easy. you. Okay. Thank you. The cycle ends with us. Yes. Breaking generational traumatic cycles. Seriously. Well, I agree with you. It's not easy. It's terrible. I have people telling me all. Well, now I'm like, 
I'm about to be 43, so I'm really so over it. But for the last, what, 20 years of my career, do you have to write about it? Do you have to talk about everything? What will people say? Like this concept of shame is such a big, and I always tell, like my mom is so badass, but even now she'll like throw some 1800s. And I'm like, mom, nobody talks like that anymore. And you know, (laughs) you know better as well. So you're right. You just have to just be and just do it. And don't always read the comments, guys. <laughs> you just have to do it and be. And I feel like what also I think the non-negotiable for me is is that I realized in my own life that and this is where like boundaries and self-love and all those buzzwords like actually come into play because it's like if I say like let's say you and I are in the same family, right? And you're like telling me like Nithika shut up please and stop <laughs> saying these things which so many people have told me um, and then if I say okay I'm gonna say yes to you I'm gonna say yes and agree with what you're saying I'm ultimately saying no to myself yes. I'm not okay with that yes no that is something I'm not okay with right So that doesn't mean that you have to like what I say. That doesn't mean that is also doesn't mean that I'm coming in to disrespect you, Mm -hmm. to cause harm on you. Like I have to make sure my integrity is in line. Right. And that um, I'm yeah, that I can say at the end of the day, you know what? I lived a day full of integrity and I was in alignment with my highest truth and with my heart and my purpose and all these things. But aside from that, if you just want to like control me and tell me that I shouldn't say things because there'll be shame, yeah. because even like the evil eye, like Nazar AI, like Nuzzer. don't give me, and I'm like, listen, guys, we've had enough Nazar in so many ways. And we've been talking about, we've been trying to avoid it for so long. Like, let's just Seriously. get it out in the open, you know? Yeah. So I kind of, and I mean, I know this is kind of silly, but I, I tell my parents this, my parents this all the time when they get upset that I'm like challenging them on something, I'm like, guys, their feelings. We're feeling things. Great. That's great. No one's going to die from a feeling. We're going to be fine. Okay. <laughs> That's a quote. <laughs> and they're just like, okay, Nithika, like you <laughs> so much. Yeah. But I do because I feel like my life depends on it. And I actually it feel does. like their life depends on it too. Um, but they haven't been, you know, programmed to believe that. So it's a yeah. little bit different. But yeah, I feel like our lives depend on it. So I'm like, okay, if I have to like take the blame, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. Seriously. You know? Also, the older you get, the really, the number of fucks you have to get really do dwindle. And that's true. I know important. I'm 41 now. So yeah. I know I'm 41 now. And I feel the same. I definitely feel probably when I was like turning 38, I was yeah. just a couple of my good friends turned 38 this past few months. And I told them, I was like, I feel like something turned when I oh, turned totally. 30, right? It's your mid thirties. I feel like it happens. Like I, you're so much, I feel like you're, you know, so much, you're so much wiser that you're like, no, I don't care. And when you believe, like you said, when you know, you know what your higher truth yeah. is, or as long as you are being real with yourself, yeah. really, we can move forward. Yeah. So this is kind of like my first question, but going back a little bit, so many people have a passion and a purpose, but not everyone can translate into a successful business model and have it work. So you are really a businesswoman. You're an entrepreneur, uh, a digital as a digital wellness entrepreneur. What's your advice to women who want to be Nithika Chopra? What, what, what would you say to them? Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> that's, very, that's very sweet. I mean, no, I really appreciate that. I mean, I think First of all, I never saw myself as a businesswoman, actually. And that was like so a huge many, part. So many women, 
you know, don't, but you are yeah. like my husband is a serial entrepreneur and he always says that to me. And I'm like, I wouldn't define myself like that. But, you know, when I was doing my research and, you know, looking at your work and going through, I was just like, I'm so happy that my two daughters have like women, you know, like you to look up to, especially as a South Asian, a South Asian American, you know? So I'm like, this is so badass. So what do you say? What do you say to mm -hmm. young women and little girls? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is like, well, there's so many things I could say, honestly. I'm just trying Have to- Have like, a business model. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And honestly, like sometimes I'm still working on that. You know, with Chronicon, we had to shift so much because of the yes, pandemic. pandemic. was so much around live events and live experiences wow. and all of that. So we had to really shift. So we're still- you know, figuring a lot of that out, but our community, we have our online community um, for Chronicon and it's like the love of my life. So that's going really well, but it was a, you know, a, a journey for sure. I would say the first thing is, you know, don't let anyone tell you what kind of businesswoman you should be. And I think that's like kind of the blanket umbrella thing. Right. And and honestly, I have to remind myself of this too, because it can be so easy to look at stuff and say, oh, wait, so she got that. And like, she's doing it this yeah. way. Oh God, like maybe I'm supposed to do it that way. If I told you how many times a day, sometimes when I'm really in it or a week or a month that I do that, I'm so, I'm really working on that because I feel like the thing that has gotten me to where I am is doing it my way. Yes. Is saying, yeah, I know that people get famous on TikTok, you know, from showing these things or from talking about these things and then their companies blow up and then they become unicorns and then they do all this stuff. Sure, I know that. And I also know that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. You know, so I'm not doing it. And maybe I'll be where they are in 10 years instead of in 10 months. I don't know. But I'm doing it my, my way. way. And at the end of the day, I can say, okay, I'm really proud of that. You know, and it also, I think from what I've seen, it creates a depth and a genuine, like just something that's very genuine when you authenticity. Do it that way. Yes. Authenticity. People yes, can tell. You can tell when you're not real with yourself and people can tell too. <laughs> Others can tell too, exactly. seriously. It is so hard. It's so hard not to compare yourself, but you're right. Everybody has their own path. It's not going to, yeah. you know, I think when we were growing up, it was, it was like, what is she doing? Because you felt like, you know, you feel like there's supposed to be a clear road to your career or, or yeah. success, but no, it's not guys. It looks like this. <laughs> Sometimes it just goes off the rail, but yeah, being real, being real to yourself. Um, so my last question is what are you working on now? What are your upcoming projects and anything you want to spill the tea on? Yes. Well, we have our next in-person Chronicon happening Ooh. on May 19th in Brooklyn, in New York. And I'm so excited about it. It's been a journey to get through the pandemic and yes. say like, I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but you know, get to this point in the pandemic mm -hmm. and say, okay, we're ready to take this step. We're ready to come together. We're ready to find ways to do it safely. So we're doing that in May in Brooklyn and I could not be more thrilled. And that will be, the will be on sale and that will be shared in January of 2023. And then um, we also have our community, our online community. And I have to tell you, I'm in there every single day. People get, you know, one-on-one -on -one time with me all the time. Like, basically, we have events every single week. We have content every single day. And it's just like the most 
beautiful, kind, cool, interesting, fun community that, you know, happens to be people that have chronic illnesses. But I think the biggest misconception people have about Chronicon sometimes is that like, it's the support group that we're just sitting around talking about our health. And I'm like, it cannot be different. Like the health thing is the thing that unifies us, but it's not the thing that we focus on actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's a really uplifting, fun, that cool space. It's very different. I love that you don't want to be defined by your illness. Like, I love what you say about it to celebrate, you know, your abilities and your successes and not be held back because I mean, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard for the average person. And then sometimes you just can't control, you know, when your body is like, uh, do you know when you're going to be like in room? Have you, do you know like what to expect now? I mean, after so long with no. your illness, no, right? No. So no. does it sometimes just like know. knock you out? Oh yeah. I mean, like even like right now, like I got a third diagnosis back in May after dealing with COVID long haul symptoms. I got another autoimmune disease, which has been really challenging and I've been on medication for it. And so I have like moon face, which is like something that happens when you have to take certain medications like steroids. I and, know uh, I was, oh my God, I had to do liquid steroid, you know, the infusions for like three months. I have a lot of thyroid issues and I have Hashimoto's and Graves disease and whatnot, but yes, I was so swollen. I yes. was like huge. I didn't know they called it moon face. I just felt like I had just like this massive head. Oh yeah, it's moon face. How long? How long did it take for it to go back to normal? <laughs> Just asking for a friend. <laughs> you know, um, I feel like it took about I don't know, maybe two and a half months. But does do you yeah. find that the steroid also one of the side effects makes you really hungry? Like I had an insatiable oh, yeah. hunger, like, yeah, like a pregnancy hunger. Yeah, I yeah, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't manage it. Couldn't control it. So yeah. I was like, Is this the steroids, or am I just gaining weight now? No, like, no, it's anything else? But it was, it's yeah, that's what my doctor said, but it was funny because it was making my eye go, it was, it was working. It was effective, but the side effects, I was like, I'm glad my eye isn't as swollen, but the rest of me is. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. I've been on them for months, but I'm doing a very, very slow taper. I'm doing the oral steroids. Um, so you taper mm-hmm. down and you taper up kind of thing. So I'm on a very low dose right now, tapering down, but yeah, it's been so hard, you know? Yeah, so when you say like, really do hard. I know now after after so many years, like, no, I didn't expect to get another condition. I didn't expect to have all these side effects from all this medication. I didn't expect any of this stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's still very unpredictable, which is why your spiritual tools, having a center, knowing yourself, all that stuff, it can sound very like fluffy and whatever, but in times like this, it's a lifesaver, literally having a community, the community yes, that you, you created for so many people. Well, Nithika, thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited about this interview, but thank you so much for your time today. And I cannot wait for our audience to hear all the tea that you shared with us. But thank Thank you you so so much. much. I will speak to you soon. Thank you, Nithika. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.